And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 141 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.04 a.m. on May 5th, Revenge of the 5th, 2019. And here to join me on this dark Star Wars day, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. Nicole Ackman. Hi, friends. And Casey Lee Clark. Hello. So may the force be with all of you yesterday for today. We are going evil, baby. Unlimited power. <laughs> this is, I'm doing this all for Will Mavity. And I and then, like it's so funny because I know he doesn't listen to the show. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he, I know he's not going to know any of this. Oh, man. But in any way, we are going to do it today on the uh, show. We are going to have a... Uh, not necessarily a Star Wars themed discussion, uh, but we do have some stuff to definitely talk about that does pertain to Star Wars to a certain extent. We're also going to be talking about the latest development at Cannes. We're going to be talking about some trailers today, including one blue CGI'd hedgehog, which definitely uh, lit the internet on fire this week to a certain degree. We're going to answer some fan questions, go over the polls. Should be a fun week overall. But first and foremost, let's start off by asking everyone, what did you all catch up on this week, either at the in the theaters or at home? Let's start off with Casey Lee Clark. I didn't see anything in the theater this week just because it was kind of a busy week, but I caught up on some stuff on Criterion Channel and some stuff at home. How's the service going so far? Good. I've, they've been adding a lot of cool stuff. I've been I've been a big fan. I haven't had any problems with it. That's good. That's, That's good, good to yeah. hear. I, I'm in a very weird situation with that where I want to sign up. I actually was initially pre-signed up. And then my friend uh, said to me, oh, he could get me like a deal or something like that through his company. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then it turned out it wasn't real and it was bullshit. And I was like, oh, so I missed out on getting the promo deal for being a pre-subscriber. And now I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do because I'm so attached to my physical Criterion Collection Blu-ray. Yeah. And I just know that if I subscribe to the service, I may never buy another physical copy ever again. And I just don't know if I'm ready to do that. <laughs> I feel that. There's a lot of stuff that they have that's not on the streaming service and vice versa, which is like, like I'm already thinking ahead to the next sale, like what I'm going to buy. And I'm like raising in my head, like, oh, stuff that's not on streaming. Like that's the stuff that I'll get. But like, yeah, right. I think it's good for me, especially because I reason in my head buying them. Like if I've seen them already, I don't do as many blind buys with them. So I think it's a good chance for me to get to see a lot of these movies. Um, but yeah, that's basically it. Gotcha. Uh, was there anything on the uh, channel that you did watch recently that really, you know, the, either you've seen it before or? Um, I watched Paul Schrader's Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, which was pretty cool. That is such an awesome movie. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that one. Yeah. It's definitely a really unique way of telling like the story of an artist and a writer and that whole. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Nicole? Yeah, um, well, for one, I went and saw Endgame again. (laughs) 
Um, I would highly recommend seeing it in Dolby. It was really cool. Like, obviously, to hear that score just in the Dolby sound um, was really amazing. So definitely recommend that, especially if you have the AMC A-list and you can see it in Dolby for, uh, you know, not having to pay the extra cost for that. Also, uh, listeners may remember I am uh, doing a project where I am watching all of Lily James' filmography, uh, and I rewatched Pride and Prejudice and Zombies this weekend. Uh, oh, boy. Weekend, which I read the book, too, and the book is superior to the movie, but it honestly is, like, a pretty clever film. Um, oh, no. If you're really familiar with Jane Austen. No, I, I shouldn't have to be. <laughs> no, but, but here's the thing. If you're actually familiar with Jane Austen and that kind of work, it's actually a pretty clever satire of a lot of Regency England type stuff. I'm sorry. I just that was like one of my least favorite films that year. I I could not get down with that movie, even with the cast, because the cast was very attractive in many ways. I remember not that movie is not meant for you. Like that is meant for people who are hardcore fans, I think, of the genre who will appreciate the twist on it. Um, Like there's so many small things in there that are such like actual pokes at like Regency novel tropes that are really funny um and like matt smith as uh mr collins is just really important to me <laughs> he was the best part of that movie He's i do so remember good. that there's the part where like they come in after the like fail proposal and he just sees the vase on the ground he's like this is an antique and i'm like <laughs> i like had to stop it i was laughing so hard the other thing that i watched is lady J. Um, which I think came out last year in France, but has newly gone on to Netflix. Um, it is a period drama in French, and I'd say it is kind of uh, love and friendship meets dangerous liaisons, um, kind of about a woman in the 18th century who has been spurned by her lover and decides to set him up to embarrass him in front of the whole um, you know, French high society, uh, really beautiful performance by the leading lady. I think her name is, uh, Cécile de France. Um, and, and a really fun watch, uh, if you are willing to, you know, deal with subtitles or if you're fluent in French. So I highly recommend that one. It's got some gorgeous, gorgeous costuming. Okay. All right. Josh Parm. Uh, yeah, I actually caught up with quite a number of things. I saw two movies on Friday and two movies on Saturday, actually. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What do you got uh, for us? Well, the first one I saw was Longshot, which we reviewed on the uh, the podcast. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was good. It was perfectly fine uh, material, had some good moments in it, uh, had some issues with the story. But overall, I, I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, unfortunately, that was the best thing that I saw over the weekend. Oh, boy. The next thing I saw was extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. And I kind of live up to its title. I was going to say very appropriate, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of hated that movie. Zac Efron gives an interesting performance, but he's in a movie that just is so like messy and not interesting in the slightest. And it kind of breaks my heart a little bit for that director because Joe Berlinger is the guy who directed Paradise Lost, the documentary about, the West Memphis Three, and I love that film, but yeah. this was just awful. <laughs> it was just such a chore to get through. I really, really hated it. Um, 
and oh god, every character around Ted Bundy, like all the female characters in that film, are just atrociously written. It's really terrible. Um, so unfortunately, that wasn't very good. Uh, then I saw a movie called Bolden, which is a biopic about a musician named Buddy Bolden, who's essentially one of the earliest people who uh, sort of were into the jazz movement, like kind of one of the founders of it. And it's a very low budget period piece. And I think that is a problem for the film, unfortunately. It kind of has that thing where, you know, when you're shooting and there's like this very cheap shine to everything to make it look older than it actually is. I remember seeing that in the trailer and thinking that exact same thing. Yeah. And I think also the bigger problem with the film is that it doesn't ever really give you a chance to understand the main character. And it was it's kind of a shallow movie, unfortunately. I wanted to see it because it's an indie film. And also, just as, as a quick side note, the director of the film is actually uh, the governor of Illinois' cousin. So <laughs> I thought that was an interesting kind of wrinkle to the film. Hmm. But that movie, uh, yeah, it, it's nothing to really seek out, unfortunately. And then the last film I saw was El Chicano, which you might have heard about because the producer, Joe Carnahan, kind of went on a meltdown on Twitter over the weekend attacking oh, yeah. the critics oh, yeah. that didn't really like the movie. And this is a movie that essentially the kind of outline of it is like it's a superhero origin story that has an entirely um, Mexican or uh, Latino cast in it. And for that, I appreciate it. But I think that the bigger problem with that film is none of the characters are really interesting. The plot is dull and all the action is not that well filmed. So... It's like good effort on the film. I want to support it for its uh, diversity, but it just really isn't executed that well. So I saw a lot of stuff this weekend, but none of it that exceptional. Wow. Okay. Man, hopefully you, you do better next week, uh, Josh. I feel bad almost. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know what? Even movies that I don't like, I still appreciate that I saw them. Yeah, I hear that. Michael? So I saw Longshot, which I liked a lot, even though I could have done without some of the unnecessary raunchy humor. Uh, I'm not generally offended by like drug use language in movies, but I felt that their presence here added absolutely nothing and even just took away from what I thought would have been a stronger story if they had just been straightforward with the story they were trying to tell. I think there was some stuff that could have been cut and the movie would have been better off for it. But that said, what works here is really smart and really thoroughly charming. I had a good time with the scenes that i felt just really clicked it's a screwball comedy that also has shades of the american president which is one of my favorite movies so i would really recommend this knowing that there's a better movie trying to get out of there and charlie's theron can do absolutely anything she's amazing i love her she should get a golden globe nomination for this so that was the new release that i saw i know you had the podcast on that yesterday matt yeah yeah i i pretty much agree with you on long shot in that it could have been better uh and i don't want to get too deep into my thoughts because like you know like you said we did do a podcast on it yesterday uh but pretty much pretty aligned there i would say in terms of charlie steron uh it strikes a good mix at times between the humor and the more political satire and then there are times where the mix doesn't necessarily work but overall yeah. enjoyable film uh i recommend it if you're looking for you know a date movie or something like that it, it's nice i thought it just went a little low at times when it seemed like it was aiming for something higher sure sure so but it's, i still liked it a lot 
that was good. And then last night, you're going to laugh. I watched a movie from 21 years ago that I don't think I had ever seen all the way through. You're not going to believe this, Matt, because I know this is a favorite of yours. And I'm sure many other people on the podcast here love it. This is a Disney movie that many consider a classic. And I had seen bits and pieces of, but I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever seen the whole thing up until now. And that is Mulan. What? Wow. Mm. Yes. Oh, my. I, I, I turned it on and they have the first song. I'm like, I remember this. I remember the scene with the matchmaker and all of this. Like when I was like maybe three and four, I remember seeing it. But then everything toward the end with the fireworks and the big battle, I really don't remember any of that. So that might have been my first time seeing the movie all the way through. That's amazing. Holy hell. Oh, my God. You know, I can't believe that. 90s Disney entries just sort of went past me for whatever reason, like Hercules, Hunchback of Notre Dame, all those movies just sort of, you know, they don't play the same role in my mind that Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid do. You should definitely give uh, Hunchback another watch only just because some of the darker elements of that I think are some of the more fascinating things to look back on during yeah, well, that that's era. that's on my list. I wanted to go through that late 90s period because I know there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. You've got to watch not... Hercules. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Hercules. I've seen that all the way through. Okay, okay. okay yeah. Hercules got a bad rep when it first came out, but I think it's a perfectly enjoyable, entertaining film. And yeah. it's on its way to Broadway, Michael. So Yes, I know that. Yes. And it also has one of my favorite Michael Bolton songs of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I go the distance. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm saying that at graduation. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I think I may have seen Mulan years and years ago and just don't remember everything outside of those first 15, 20 minutes. So maybe this was like a second or third viewing and I just forgot about the others. Yeah. But I'm glad I watched it again. It's a very good movie, gorgeously animated. And this is not news to anybody. Uh, Okay. So I had a very busy week due to the uh, Tribeca Film Festival, actually. And I saw I didn't see as much as I wanted to at the festival, uh, but I saw, you know, I think some of the bigger titles that were worth talking about. For example, I saw Burning Kane, which uh, won the Best Narrative Feature Award and Best Actor for Wendell Pierce. And uh, I wasn't a fan, honestly. Uh, it seemed very unfocused to me. It lacked a strong narrative, uh, seemed to be kind of just, I don't know, disjointed, really. It just wasn't wasn't my cup of tea. Like it was directed by a 19-year-old? It was directed by a 19-year-old who, you know, good for him. Uh, he got his film into Tribeca. His film won some awards. I'm interested to see what comes next, but just the style uh, was not was not for me. Uh, then I saw Lost Transmissions, uh, which stars uh, Simon Pegg and Juno Temple. Simon Pl- Pegg plays a uh, musician who has uh, schizophrenia, and Juno Tempo, it, Temple is uh, his friend who is trying desperately to get him uh, committed to a hospital so that he doesn't become a danger to himself or to others. But the film, like, really goes into how, you know, he has to self-commit himself. Like, he can't do it against his will. And he doesn't want to take the medication. He doesn't want to be committed. And it's actually a very heartbreaking movie that it features some very strong work from the two actors. I was very, very impressed by both of them in this. And the film's uh, depiction of mental illness is better handled than most movies I have seen. Um, It just peaks way too early for me, though, in terms of its drama, that by the end, I was really exhausted by it and just completely overwhelmed because it just gets more dramatic from there. So uh, definitely worth checking out, though, if you want to see some um, really strong work from those two. Then I saw uh, a film called The Kill Team, which is a film, uh, it's a war film uh, based on a true story. Uh, The 
director. It's his narrative feature debut. He had also made a documentary by the same name about the same exact story. Uh, Nat Wolf plays a, a young soldier who must decide between doing uh, what's right versus going against his CEO and uh, the rest of his uh, squad. And his commanding officer is played by Alexander Skarsgård, who uh, dips into his big little lies uh, bag of tricks to pull off another chilling, very chilling, quiet, but strong performance as a soldier who condones murder to achieve a result, basically. It's pretty harrowing stuff. Um, not the greatest thing I saw, but strong overall. Um, but then I saw a film called Buffaloed with uh, an actress who I swear I'm waiting for her to just blow up. But I mean, she's just been consistently great. And that's Zoe Dutch. Uh, I, I absolutely love her almost in everything that she's in, even in horrible comedies like Why Him? I think that she just has this level of charm about her that is just completely irresistible and in this movie she plays a hustler who opens up uh <laughs> opens up like a collection agency for uh collecting debt from people and the film almost plays itself off like it's um like a martin scorsese like crime film and she just plays this like really perfect mixture of grit and intellectualism and she's just like the smartest person in the room i mean like it's a very entertaining movie uh and then i saw the world premiere of a film called uh yesterday and i saw that yesterday (laughs) uh which is danny boyle's newest film and that is uh i'm sure you all have seen the trailer for it Uh, guy basically wakes up after an accident to find out that the uh beatles uh never existed and so he ends up passing off all the Beatles songs as his own to achieve wealth and fame. And uh, Nicole, it stars Lily James. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> it's a light and funny film uh, filled with obviously some of the greatest music that has ever been written. And it almost feels cheap in the sense that Danny Boyle is working off of a Richard Curtis uh, script, who um, you all know wrote uh, Love Actually. And um, I don't know, it just feels like that kind of movie where it's like, literally everything is in place to create the perfect crowd pleaser type movie that I almost felt that it was almost too like, like they, they almost made it like, look, look like it was too easy. You know what I mean? Like it's too calculated. Yeah. Like it, like it works obviously. Cause how could it not? Right. <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, and there is something to be said though, for the fact that I think that maybe the, uh, relationship dynamics between, um, Himish Patel and Lily James in the movie, are a little let's put it this way some people might have some questions about how their relationship kind of plays out throughout the movie but as far as working its charm over a mainstream audience i think this film is going to do its job just fine matt you had one of the more positive reactions to yesterday because i was reading some of the reviews this morning and they were pretty mixed yeah yeah no i I, because like i said i think that the film's charm uh really just worked over me uh like a spell like and like i said i started to think about that from the stance of like Am I just won over too easily by this? Uh, I'm not. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I thought this was going to put Danny Boyle back on the map. No, no. This is not. An, this is not an awards contender. If that's what you're yeah, thinking. I thought we were looking at like maybe original screenplay or something like that, but it doesn't. No. Like that at all, no, no. 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 If anything, this is going to introduce the world to uh, Himesh Patel, who's the lead of the film. That'll probably be the one thing that the film does ultimately. You think Danny Boyle's ever going to get back there again? Yeah, I think so. What What do you all think? Do you think he will? been a long time uh, yeah, i mean if this film's successful that kind of you know leads the right ra- it's not you know a dud from what you're saying so that's a good sign 
I think it's going to do well with general audiences, personally. Mm. So, and then uh, last but not least, uh, Embargo broke on uh, Tolkien, which I saw uh, a, a while ago. Uh, but that um, continues the Nicholas Holt leading man uh, streak that Josh Parm, uh, myself, and a bunch of others uh, have always talked about. He he's just not interesting <laughs> in a leading role. It's so true, and it's so sad because when you give him those meeting supporting characters, he's so good. Yeah, I I don't get why he is so just bland as a leading man. It's so weird. Um, this was this was a movie that once again, like you want to talk about just seeing through the lines. Uh, literally every checkbox gets checked off in this one to create one of those biopics. I thought Goodbye Christopher Robin was done better than Tolkien. Let me put it to you that way, mm. essentially. Mm. But they are almost the exact same movie. And it's because Tolkien doesn't try to do anything different. Like it's just so screenplay 101 for this type of genre. And I, I just found it to be, I, I don't want to use the word boring, but uninspired is a word I will use, mm. especially for uh, an, a subject who obviously inspired millions through his work. And it just it didn't feel like it was um, it didn't feel like it was matching up to the man's legacy. Let's put it that way. And also, too, I mean, the Tolkien family came out and disowned the film. They're not supporting it. So I think there is something to be said for that. Mm. Uh, and that pretty much did it for me uh, this week in terms of. Viewing. I'm hoping to have a lighter week this week. <laughs> it was it was a lot. You know, I saw a tweet about Tolkien right after the embargo broke, and it was from Justin Chang, who on Twitter is like the king of puns. And he said, J.R.R. Tolkien doesn't smoke his pipe that much in the movie. A missed opportunity to show how tobacco can be hobbit forming. That was really clever. I liked it. <laughs> I got a knee slap out of it. Uh, moving over to a different film festival, though, uh, Cannes is going to be starting up uh, within the next few days, and we have now received word that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's latest film, is indeed going to Cannes. Brace for impact. <laughs> I, seriously, I mean, uh, big news, uh, definitely the type of film that the festival, I don't want to say it needed it. It needed it. You think so? It needed it. When Terrence Malick is your biggest name, you need some Tarantino and Leonardo DiCaprio in there. Okay, that's fair. I mean, they do have Rockin' Man. Well, but, but that's I out also, of competition. But also, like, oh. does it need it for the perspective of uh, the people going just wanting to see good movies or just for publicity's sake? I think for publicity's sake. And also, too, because I think Tarantino is really well aware that the Cannes audience tends to really like him. And I think it's the successful launch pad for uh, his film because he's had, you know, with Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards. Um, what else did he have go over there? I can't remember. I think he had another film there. I just can't remember which one it was. But, you know, he's he's done really well. Oh, no, it was The Grindhouse, wasn't it? Oh, Death Proof. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I've completely forgot about that. I always view um, Death Proof and uh, Planet Terror as like one movie, ultimately. So I always forget about that. That's right. But yeah, I mean, him going over to Cannes is definitely a big deal. It's definitely the injection that the festival, I, I guess it, it did need it. Um, now the question is, what does the trajectory look like? Uh, the film has a summer release. It looks like it's going to be trying to follow the same path that Inglorious Bastards uh, took a few years ago. 
you know, with the uh, Cannes launch, Christoph Waltz won the Best Actor Award summer release, and then they were able to maintain that momentum all through the fall into award season. Do we foresee the same thing happening here with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if it's, yeah, I think that could, I think that could happen, especially because it's like, I feel like him and Scorsese are going to be like the big names of the award season. And I think that people are going to want to at least take notice. Yeah. Yeah, I hope it does well. Um, Even if it doesn't break into say like best picture or all those above the line categories, it's still going to get in for something because he is sort of like the Coen brothers now or Martin Scorsese, where every time he has a movie, it gets recognized in some way, shape or form by the Academy. Yeah. Even a costume design nomination, as small as that, it's going to get recognized somehow. So if this, does well at Cannes, which I have no reason to think it won't, and then does well commercially over the summer, which again, I have no reason to think it won't do well. Uh, yeah, this will be remembered in the fall, I'm sure, if it's a good movie on its own. You know whatever movie is coming out in the fall and no longer on May 24th? <laughs> yes, yes. The, the big surprise. <laughs> oh, God. Was anybody really surprised that Ad Astra got pushed back? <laughs> I just don't know how anybody expects this movie to be good if it just keeps getting pushed back again and again and again. I do want to remind everyone that Lost City of Z was also pushed back a lot. Now, I know everyone's range may vary on that movie, but I think Lost City of Z is actually a very strong piece of work. So do I. So do I expect this to be the greatest thing since, you know, the bop it? I don't know, you know, <laughs> but... Hey, listen, I love Bop It, okay? <laughs> pull it. Yeah. That's a weird pull. <laughs> <laughs> you know, James Gray, the poor guy, I, I'm old enough to remember when The Immigrant was once called The Nightingale. <laughs> remember that? I, I, I do remember that. I also know that The Nightingale is coming out this year as well. <laughs> That's a different Nightingale. That's how long ago this was. And yeah. that movie, the movie that we now know as The Immigrant, sat on the shelf for the longest time and showed up a can and did very well in the Marion Cotillard won Best Actress in the New York Film Critics. And it's also a really strong movie, once again. Uh, Immigrant I mean, is sensational. That's his best movie, I think. James Gray is one of those guys, I'm telling you. He is on the verge. The verge. Like David Lowry. You just know that the minute they get that one Academy friendly film, it's it's that they're they're in. They're getting their first nomination and like that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this one, I've heard that it can premiere. Uh, they're aiming maybe for Venice. That would make sense. So if that happens, maybe we were looking at a late December release or maybe it just goes to spring of next year. I don't know, but we will see it at some point. You have Max Richter doing the music. You have Hoyt Van Hoytema doing the cinematography. Brad Pitt, Ruth Nega, Jamie Kennedy, Donald Sutherland, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, I could see it going to Venice. And also, too, don't forget, Dee Dee Gardner, Jeremy Kleiner, and uh, Brad Pitt, producers. Well, at this point, I just need proof of life. Like, I need evidence that this <laughs> <Yeah>. movie actually <laughs> <is true. laughs> uh, Give us, like, a teaser poster or something. Yeah, yeah. right? Anything. I'm with you on that. Yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood and we got that. This is the year of uh, the Brad Pitt comeback, apparently. Hopefully. You know what movie is not going to be going to any film festivals anytime soon? Mm. A horror film called Crawl, which we received the trailer for this week. Uh, I want to I just take a moment to talk about this one here. Uh, trailers were a little light. We got two of them to talk about here on the show. Let's uh, take a look at Crawl and give some thoughts. The state of Florida has issued a Category 5 hurricane warning. All residents must evacuate immediately. 
grab your families, your loved ones, and get out. Dad! We won't be able to come for you. Dad! Where's their senses? I can distract them for you. You got this! You need to go now. I'm not leaving you here! day in florida <laughs> and i can say that as someone who's born in florida <laughs> uh, you escaped while you could nicole i did <laughs> i just want to why it's called crawl when they swim the whole time can i just take a moment to acknowledge that this film stars barry pepper who i swear if you had asked me like back in the uh like late 90s i would have told you for sure that barry pepper was going to be like the biggest star in the whole world and I feel like his career has just been so unusual in the sense that, you know, one minute he's in uh, True Grit. Next thing you know, he's in a movie that you've never heard of before. Next thing you know, he you look back at his earlier filmography and you're like, holy crap, you know, Saving Private Ryan, Enemy of the State, The Green Mile, 25th Hour. And then somewhere in there, there's this little movie called Battlefield Earth, <laughs> whatever. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's like I, when I see him pop up and I see he's almost 50 years old, I'm like, Barry Pepper, what have you been doing? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I saw him in the trailer. And like my first thought was, man, Barry Pepper is playing dads now. Kea <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scoldelario. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, she was actually in Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile this week. And she is uh, the lead in this movie. And I, I will say this about crawl from what I gathered from the trailer. I think it looks like it's interestingly well shot to the point that this could, from a genre perspective, have the same impact that something like don't breathe had where it's simple. It's not trying to do anything uh, ambitious and it's not cheesy. It's not hokey. It plays it very, very serious. But the tension and the jump scares are effective. You know what I mean? Like, this could be everything that the that we hoped the Meg was going to be. And <laughs> and it wasn't, you know? Oh, yeah. And honestly, like, for me, these movies are kind of like 
comfort food in a way that like I just have a soft spot for cheesy a monster type movies like this and so I don't have high expectations but if it can be just sort of entertaining for the, the hour and a half two hours that it's gonna be playing like that that's enough for me I mean the guy did do Piranha 3D which is <laughs> that's an oh my god movie. very entertaining movie <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For what it is, it's very entertaining. Yeah, I, I'm not expecting the world from this, but at the same time, no, if we're looking for a little, little bit of a break over the summer and, and it turns out it actually does get somewhat decent reviews, let's say like over 65 on RT, you know, decent Metacritic score, uh, this could be something worth checking out for, like you said, Josh, that, 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 like that break in the pattern, that comfort food, if you will. Meanwhile, the humans will be the food for the uh, monster in this, apparently. <laughs> it is a big alligator, right? Am I going crazy or is it something else? I don't know what it is. I, I, I'm still, again, I'm bothered by the fact that it's called Crawl and the entire trailer just swims. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> like there's no crawling happening here. Yep. Maybe the humans are the ones that are crawling, uh, you know, in the water before they get completely demolished by it. You know, I have to say, I have this fear in movies. Like, I actually get anxiety when I see enclosed spaces filled with water. Um, and I and I think this all stems back to being seven years old and watching, watching clips of Titanic. Mm. I remember being traumatized as a kid uh, when that boat was sinking and watching people horrifically being trapped in those enclosed spaces as the water was rising. And I just remember like to this day that has like somewhat carried over with me. I remember uh, what was that movie? God, uh, it was so awful. Pearl Harbor. I remember like Pearl Harbor tried to do like the same thing. And like that actually turned out to be some of the more emotionally affecting moments of that movie for me because there's something about the dreaded anxiety of being trapped somewhere and the water level just completely rising and then you drown that just horrifies me so i'm hoping that crawl can tap into that for me at least okay enough about crawl that's i think that's all that can be said about crawl yeah. <laughs> uh there is a lot that can be said uh for two individuals that we lost this week though uh we unfortunately uh saw the passing of both peter mayhew and john singleton this week um and both of them uh definitely substantial uh to the industry john singleton was actually the first African-American to be nominated for uh, Best Director at the Academy Awards. And also at the time, too, I, I believe uh, also the youngest person uh, at age 24 years old for Boys in the Hood. He went on to uh, also direct a few other films as well. Um, some some quick highlights here uh, include um, uh, Shaft, uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, Four Brothers, so his last film actually turned out to be uh, 2011's film Abduction, uh, starring uh, Taylor Lautner. Oh, oh Taylor. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, John Singleton himself, you know, I mean, definitely had a pretty substantial career. Also directed television episodes for Empire, American Crime Story, Billions. Anybody uh, have anything to say about John? He was about to pose I a big deal, apparently, for some... I don't know if it was a blockbuster, but it was going to be a pretty big movie from the sound of it. So, and that's a shame on its own, but he, he was a groundbreaker. He was a visionary and it's a tragic, tragic loss. Yeah. Th this one really kind of hit me hard when I heard the news that John Singleton is just such as has already been said, a groundbreaking pioneer and really laid the foundation for so many filmmakers to be successful in this day and age. And I think Boys in the Hood is just such a masterful piece of work. And 
to have that be right out of the gate too with a debut like that is just something amazing and yeah it's a very special voice that he had and i'm very sad to see it go especially you know 51 years old way way too young yeah. You know, I, I actually would go so far as to say I think Boys in the Hood might be one of the best dir- directorial debuts of all time. It's amazing. Yeah. Has anyone here not seen it? No, no, no shame if you haven't. I, I haven't. still haven't. It's on my list, though. <laughs> I promise. And now it's even higher up the list. So. Same. Yeah. It, it's very, very well worth it, I have to say. Yeah, it's it, a great it, movie. And also, too, it's like one of those things, too, when you look back at the cast and you're like, holy hell, you know, with Angela Bassett, Lawrence Fishburne, Ice Cube, Cuba Gooding Jr., you know, Regina King, if I remember, has a mm-hmm. role in it as well. And it, the the movie had such a cultural impact, like Boys in the Hood back even a few years after, like in the mid 90s. There was a Simpsons episode with the title parody was Boy Scouts in the Hood. <laughs> Jesus, and, you know, just, it's actually one of the more famous episodes of the Simpsons. But just to see a show that big at the time doing a parody of this movie that had only come out maybe it was two or three years after from this director making his debut. That's pretty amazing. And then also, too, in the same week, we also uh, lost another member of the uh, Star Wars family. We lost Peter Mayhew, uh, who originated the role of Chewbacca in the Star Wars film, played him up until uh, The Force Awakens, uh, where he then retired from the role. And uh, for Last Jedi and Solo, A Star Wars Story, he has worked as a consultant on the films. But uh, Force Awakens was his last time playing the iconic character of Chewie. Yeah, it was sad. Yeah. Yeah, I know that he had been struggling with health problems for a while, too. So, you know, it it doesn't make it any less sad, but I knew that that was kind of always in the news with him. Yeah. I mean, at seven feet, over seven feet tall, um, you know, not only was he a giant in life, but also too a uh, giant on the screen as well. And bringing that iconic character of Chewie, like I said before, to life for millions of people. And another note about that too, I'm now, it, it kind of makes me wonder about Rise of Skywalker just in terms of, I think it's too late now to maybe do any kind of tinkering. He might get some sort of a post-credit mention, you know, uh, dedicated to sort of thing, but I, I don't know if they're going to maybe do anything with Chewie's role in the film now at this point, right? I'm I'm sure that it's probably in the can for VFX at, at this point. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting, though, with Rise of Skywalker, you know, with losing, uh, you know, R2-D2, Princess Leia, Chewbacca, and I know I just referenced by the characters' names, not by the actors' names, but these are iconic uh, characters that I'm hoping receive individual moments uh, in Rise of Skywalker that really pay tribute to the lasting legacies that those actors were able to bring to those roles. Yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Uh, Moving on, uh, we're going to be going over the polls now uh, over here at MBP. So last week... For Long Shot, we asked everyone which was their favorite romantic comedy starring Seth Rogen. Short list, not many films to choose from. 
In fifth place, we have Take This Waltz with Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams. Has anyone here not seen that? I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't. Oh, it's it's oh, it's it's so good. utterly delightful. Or nothing but good things. Uh, then after that, in fourth place, we have Zach and Mary make a porno, which I don't know. I, I feel like I liked it better when it first came out. And now I'm just like, ah, this isn't nearly as funny as I remember it being. But I don't know. It's I've fine. never seen that. I, I don't really do Kevin Smith movies. I do love the scene with Justin Long, though. That that always makes me laugh every time I watch it. That is the best. All scene. male casts. Yeah, that is the best <laughs> scene in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing just thinking about it right now. <laughs> like, look, Barry Glenn Ross. <laughs> and Brandon Ralph comes on screen. <laughs> Oh my god, okay. Ugh. All right, so then in third place is the 40-year-old virgin. Uh second place is 50-50, and in first place is knocked up. Uh I guess not enough people had seen Long Shot because it wasn't able to crack the list. Uh but I actually would put Long Shot in there above some of those contenders uh totally. I mean, it's essentially pretty woman for a new generation, really as uh many people have drawn attention to. And I mean, it's not great, but I definitely think it's better than some of the other ones listed, at least. So there's something to be said for that. Uh, this week, though, we're talking about uh, my favorite actor on the planet, uh, Ryan Reynolds, who <laughs> I say it like that because when I actually put this poll together and I looked at the list, I was like, oh, man, I really, really, really do not like this guy's work. Yeah, <laughs> sort of I'm asking everyone um, not what is their favorite Ryan Reynolds performance but what is their favorite ryan reynolds film so a film starring ryan ryan reynolds uh what is your favorite film that features him and so uh going off of the list here i didn't include everything but i included uh, a few i included adventureland buried the crudes deadpool one and two definitely maybe green lantern life mississippi grind national lampoons van wilder pokemon detective pikachu the proposal smoke and aces the voices woman in gold and there was a write-in option as well i think out of all those movies when you just talk about the best overall i would have to go with adventureland which i think is really stellar i think that's if you haven't seen adventureland go back and watch that it's 10 years old now and features some terrific performances but there's one i want to give a shout out to and i feel like many people haven't seen this one and that's definitely maybe from 2008 that was, that was a favorite of mine and my renting movies from the library days of yeah. <laughs> middle and early it's high school <laughs> so charming the performances are great and it uh, has a backdrop of the 92 clinton campaign it's really just a smart rom-com and i think people would really like it if they checked it out now yeah. i can honestly say i've never seen that before and once again it's probably because it's starring ryan reynolds who i, I i'm i'm not kidding i did not really warm up to ryan reynolds until deadpool and i also know that is divisive for some people as well uh but i feel like deadpool is like the perfect utilization of everything that ryan reynolds does do well if that makes sense um but that's actually not my favorite movie on the list here my favorite movie is actually mississippi grind that's a good one mm. Yeah, I, I really, really, really love that one. And Ben Mendelsohn, I think, gives a tremendous performance in that movie as well. So um, for those that have not checked out that one, I would highly recommend it. And it's yeah. on Netflix right now. I have to say, my favorite Ryan Reynolds role is um, Husband to Blake Lively. But <laughs> my favorite Ryan Reynolds movie, I think, is actually The Proposal. Oh, I love The Proposal. That's so great. Like, it's it's so funny. All the scenes with Betty White just really get me. 
Um, and all the bits with that dog in it, like... Yes, the yeah. dog is taken by an eagle. Oh my god, it's so funny, but, like, so horrible at the same time. But, yeah, which, also, now that I'm thinking about it, like, I mean, he's in it, and he definitely plays a role, but he's not, like, the center of that film by any means, so... Sorry, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> That's a movie that Oscar watchers will be interested to know that 10 years ago, Touchstone, Touchstone Disney at the time, started to mount a really big Oscar campaign for Betty White for supporting actress. I remember that. Yeah. Huh. She should have gotten it. She was great. That was the beginning of the big Betty White comeback. And then that led yeah. her to do SNL and Hot in Cleveland and become the internet sensation that she's become since. Meanwhile, uh, Sandra Bullock did get a Golden Globe nomination for it. Yes, and a well-deserved nomination there, too. That is a very good Sandra Bullock performance. Yeah, I'd probably say overall Ryan Reynolds' movie for me, probably Adventureland. But I think I agree that I think Deadpool utilizes him the best, and it's a blast. So, What about you, Parm? I would actually say that Adventureland is my favorite performance from Ryan Reynolds, but I'm, but in terms of his best movie, I'm going to agree with you, Michael, and say definitely maybe. I think that is a very underrated film that is so sweet and charming. I think it is such a wonderful movie that not too many people talk about, but I really like it. Okay, so this movie came out in 2008, and I, I and it stars uh, him, Isla Fisher, Rachel Weisz, Elizabeth Banks, Abigail Breslin, and Kevin Klein. Sign me up, all right? You guys convinced me. I'm going to add this one to the queue. Yeah, I've not seen this one. I watched that movie two days before the election in 2016 because I was on like a Clinton high and I wanted to watch it again. And well, maybe I shouldn't watch it before the next election. Let's just say that. (laughs) (laughs) But I do want to see it again. It's a very good movie. That's why I like doing these polls sometimes because, you know, I get a recommendation or two and I'm like, ah, you know what? Okay, yeah, why not? (laughs) We'll check out. Oh, Ryan Reynolds in something, you know, but I, I I have to say, like, I really want Ryan Reynolds to. I don't know, I, I think his best. I don't, it's interesting. I go back and forth all the time between his best performances. And I, I do. I want to just mention this because no one else brought it up. I, I got to throw some love towards Buried, which is an impressive uh, performance in and of itself because it is solely focused on him the entire time. And if he does not hold your interest through it, then the film is not going to work for you. Has anyone here seen it? Did it work for you? <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. It's been a while. I, don't, I think I probably last saw it when it came out, like, what, nine years ago. And I remember thinking that it was decent, like it was fine. And I agree with you that if you don't buy his performance, the movie totally falls apart. And he's he is genuinely good in it, but it's not really a movie that I return to in my mind often. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, head on over to the polls page over at nextbestpicture.com. Vote in there for which is your favorite Ryan Reynolds performance and let us know. Okay. With that said, just in terms of uh, Detective Pikachu, Mm -hmm. anyone here like mildly curious because I fear that the reactions are somewhat divisive, but there's something about this Blade Runner-esque production design element that they're going for that has me somewhat curious. (laughs) I think mildly curious (laughs) is the correct way to phrase that. I wouldn't say I'm hugely anticipating this, but I will admit that there is something about this movie that does like drift my eye towards it. And even if it's maybe just morbid curiosity, I I am interested a little bit to see what this whole thing is about. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on that. And it's like one of those things where 
I used to be a big Pokemon fan when I was a kid. Definitely fell out of love with it. Not a fan anymore. I mean, I remember when that Pokemon app came out and everybody was running around the country trying to catch Pokemon. Oh, that was ridiculous. I had no interest in it at all. So when I saw like the movie was coming out, I was like, oh, they're finally doing a live action Pokemon. It's about damn time. And then when I saw it, it was voiced by Ryan Reynolds. I'm like, I hear Deadpool coming out of Pikachu. This, this just feels <laughs> so wrong, you know? And I don't know if I'm going to be able to overcome that, but it is next week's podcast review. So we will find out. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, tiny CGI creatures uh, leading a film, our second trailer to discuss this week is a film called Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh boy, here we go. What the? Gotta go fast. minutes ago, an energy surge knocked out power across the entire Pacific Northwest. This needs someone who can figure out exactly what we're dealing with. You're not suggesting who I think you're suggesting. We have no choice. What the? Are you in charge here? Yes, I am. No! Nope. I'm wrong. Wait. I'm in charge. Allow me to clarify. In a sequentially ranked hierarchy based on level of critical importance, the disparity between us is too vast to quantify. Agent Stone? The doctor thinks you're basic. Listen, pal, I don't know if you realize who- I'm sorry, Major, what was your name? Benny- Nobody cares! SFPD! Uh, meow? Ah! Oh, come on. Okay, pal, I want answers. Basically, it looks like I'm gonna have to save your planet. No, but thank you for asking. Uh-oh. Whatever this creature is, our job is to secure it, neutralize it, see what makes it tick. Look at this. I took nine million steps today. How much longer? I can't breathe in here. Do you have your child in that bag? No. I mean, yes, it's a child, but it's not mine. It's not your child. It smells like body spray in an old ham sandwich. Ugh. Do you all remember a movie called Rocky and Bullwinkle? Yep, I was yes, That's that not exactly. a bad movie, by the way. So uh, Michael, what? Did you just say that's not a bad movie? It's not, not a, a bad, bad movie. It's actually pretty funny if you like the original Rocky and Bullwinkle series. Yeah. It, it, no, the Rocky and Bullwinkle movie is actually pretty good. For for what it is, it's actually a lot smarter than you think it is. You're going to make me go back and revisit this, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, it's a uh, Kenneth look, Lonergan film, Matt. Yes, he wrote the screenplay. I, I, you know, I have God, I don't know. Anyway, listen, bottom line here is that... <laughs> 
this movie, okay, is written by a couple of people. You know, we've got uh, Patrick Casey on here. Uh, we've got Josh Miller and Oren Uzlow. I don't even know who that is exactly. But I'm just looking over some of their credits here. And I am not convinced. I look at the director, Jeff Fowler. And his uh, last movie that he directed was Go For Broke in 2004, which is a short. And so there's no precedent there necessarily, although he did get an Oscar nomination for it. So, uh, okay. So, like, the first thing, first impressions here. I saw James Marsden, okay? And I'm thinking, okay, James Marsden. (laughs) Yeah, somebody posted a picture of him with Sonic, then him in the movie Hop from 2011. And they're like, what kind of dirt does Hollywood have on James Marsden? <laughs> then I saw uh, Jim Carrey come on the screen, and he's playing Ivo Robotnik. Okay, where's that guy been? Okay, Jim Carrey, I feel like when missing in action, goes to do the Showtime series and puts all these political things on Twitter. But he hasn't made a great comedy, and now he just pops up here? What's that about? What do you have to go back to? I love you, Philip Morris, for his last good like comedy. I'm talking about like a genuine like Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey mode comedy. I guess Yes Man, maybe. Yeah, I, I think it would have to be Yes Man from 2008 yeah, then. Yes Man, which is 11 years. Yeah, 11 years ago. I don't know what. I, it looked. Man, it, Jim Carrey looks to be doing his Jim Carrey isms with this, which I, I suppose will work to a certain extent. No, no, what am I saying? I'm just trying to be hopeful, I guess. It doesn't look like it's going to work. My oh, biggest yeah. question is if the person or, you know, the team of people who um, animated Sonic for this had ever seen a hedgehog before. <laughs> no, it's not that. They're going. They're trying to go based off of the video game look. That, I mean, it that's clearly what they're doing. Like that. It, it doesn't look like that completely, and it also doesn't look like... I just... I would never have guessed that this thing was a hedgehog. I'm just saying that. <laughs> no, no, no. The thing that gets me with this is that he looks more like, to me... Uh, and maybe this is what they're really going for. He really does look like a video game character. And it just looks like very, it, like the, the detail in the fur, the eyes look dead. It just, it looks incomplete. And they have said that they are go. they have listened to the feedback from the trailer and they are going to go back and retinker with uh, the visual effects. That is such a bad idea. <laughs> oh, I think it's catering to the online mob. You know, this is going to start a really bad precedent, I fear, where people go back based on the response to the trailers or the first footage from these movies and just listen to what the fans are saying instead of just going with their original vision. Well, and not only that, but this was also something else that was brought up on on Twitter, which is the visual the visual effects um, industry is already like heavily exploited as it is. And to tell these companies that are already not getting paid a lot to do a tremendous amount of work, okay, now basically redo all the visual effects in this movie, but we're not going to move the release date and probably not going to pay you any overtime for it either, that is also a bad precedent to set as well. Yeah, it's just a bad, bad look, I think. And this is a movie that probably wasn't going to do well critically to begin with. I don't know if there was a commercial audience for this. I honestly didn't even know it was happening until the trailer dropped. So I I just don't think it's going to change anyone's mind. If you were going to see the Sonic movie, you're going to see it regardless of what the character looks like. Uh, Well, I just have a feeling that the problems with this movie are probably bigger than just the design of Sonic. (laughs) 
Somebody suggested that when they redo the look, it should be Christopher Plummer as Sonic. (laughs) Also, too, can somebody please, 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 please tell me. Who thought it was a good idea to use Genghis's Paradise for Sonic the Hedgehog? Oh, God. (laughs) This trailer makes Detective Pikachu look like Citizen Kane. Like, it's just like... (laughs) I wouldn't go. I wouldn't say Citizen Kane, but it makes Maybe him Blade look like more like Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, Detective Pikachu is like the spiritual sequel to Blade Runner that we didn't know we we needed. <laughs> and Sonic the Hedgehog just it, like it, I'm telling you, it gives me that Rocky Bullwinkle vibe. That which is I, a good movie. I'm, I'm, no, I'm. I, I still stand behind that. I'm not. No, I'm not one over. Well, I'm, I'm with Casey you, and Nicole. Speaking of, you know who directed the Rocky Bullwinkle movie? Who? Death. Smackinoff, who's up for a Tony for Ain't Too Proud. Oh, the Broadway so director. Funny. I just learned this. This is a this is a plug right now for Next Best Theater. If you haven't listened to those podcasts, Michael, Casey, and Nicole do all do a really really fine job. So subscribe over to our Patreon for one dollar minimum a month, and you can listen to them ramble on about theater all day long. Oh, theater and Rocky that. and Bullwinkle, apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, I want to answer some questions that we received this week here on the show from some of our fans. Uh, let's see. Unless if anybody's got uh, anything else to say about Sonic the Hedgehog, because. I, I walked away from this completely baffled and really just completely like, who I don't know who just said it. I think it was you, Casey. Uh, you know, it, it just I'm baffled now. I don't know what to say about it because also to I, I will say this. I like the tagline that they use the word Genesis. <laughs> I, I thought that was actually pretty clever, all things considered. Well, when when your tagline is the highlight, you're obviously doing something good. <laughs> and they played around with the Paramount stars and they used the rings. I was I was digging some of this, you know? But then it's like, why are they using Gangsta's Paradise? Why does Sonic look completely unrealistic? What is going on with the tone of the humor with this, with what Jim Carrey is doing? But I guess that's what you signed up Jim Carrey for. But does the rest of the movie follow through? I mean... Ugh, too many unanswered questions. I'd rather go to the Sonic Drive-In restaurant. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So some questions here from some fans. Uh, Late Night is getting screened a little bit more, and some people are uh, getting a chance to see it. At HLVD Movies asks, do you think Emma Thompson has a chance for Late Night? I've seen the movie. No one else here has. But just based off of what you have all heard uh, what are your impressions so far? And then I'll clarify it after. I feel like it would be more of like a Golden Globes contender rather than Oscar personally, from what I've heard. Bingo! <laughs> I would never be against her getting in for anything, but I do feel like her real shot is also at a Golden Globe. I I think so as well. I think the Oscar uh, best chance is a screenplay nomination. And even then, I'm a little hazy on it because I think that there's just going to be obviously a lot of competition. So, well, speaking of Emma Thompson, even if it's not for late night, which, you know, as Casey Nicole just said, Golden Globe seems like a possibility. Let's not forget, she has a Christmas movie coming out in November directed by Paul Feig. Oh, yeah. She also wrote the screenplay. Heck yeah. Mm. So that could be something. So uh, we are in the uh, month of May right now. Uh, Some people will try to sit here and say that the uh, summer movie season has already started. And, uh, you know, with the release of Avengers Endgame and all, Uh, which speaking of which, 
What's going on with the box office reports on that for the second weekend? Anyone have that information yet? Yes. Uh, if the things change later on today, they have the estimates uh, for Sunday, but you know that could always change later on in the afternoon. If they stay as they are, it will not break the record for second weekend. Star Wars Force Awakens will still hold that record. But at the same time, the film just surpassed Titanic internationally today. Wow. Damn. And it's second weekend, too. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm trying to get the exact number here. So give me a second to pull that up. I have to ask, because I know we asked it last week. I'm going to ask it again. The Avatar record. Yes or no? Well, let's see. Right now, Avengers Endgame is... Oh, it's number two right now. It uh, Worldwide, it's... Uh, Two billion one hundred eighty-eight million. Avatar is number one with two million seven hundred eighty-eight million. So it still has six hundred million to go worldwide. It's going to get there. I mean, the film has not even been in release for a full month, and Disney had Black Panther in theaters for how long? But this is so front-loaded that I feel like in the third and fourth week, it's just going to keep dropping off because everybody went the first three days. Well, yeah, because nobody wanted to be impacted by spoilers. And yes, Mm -hmm. there will be competition. Avatar had to build up an audience over months and months. And I don't know if anyone else remembers this, but just in America... That movie opened, Avatar, in December 2009 over a huge snowstorm that impacted a lot of the East Coast. I remember People that. People get out to see it opening weekend. So they saw it over Christmas and then over Martin Luther King Day and then Valentine's Day and President's Day. And it just went all throughout Oscar season pretty much. Avengers, everyone went the first weekend and then that's pretty much it. It had terrific legs. Well, but I know a ton of people who are seeing Endgame multiple times. Yeah. I feel like, like my boyfriend and I already talked about, like, oh, we'll probably see it again, but we're going to wait, like, a month or so when it's, like, because we already, like, it's going to be in theaters for, like, forever. So, like, my family already said if it's still in theaters uh, Memorial Day, whenever I come home, maybe we'll go see it actually together. I want to just point out something about Avengers Endgame. It has already surpassed the entire theatrical run of Infinity War. Damn. Like, that. that is just mind-boggling to me when i hear stuff like that i understand the front-loaded argument and the idea that you know there's going to be obviously other movies coming out over the next couple of weeks but i i honestly believe that if disney held black panther in theaters for as long as they did so that they could get 700 million dollars domestic i think they will hold this in theaters for as long as they can if they are within earshot of the uh avatar record yeah i mean it has a really good shot of doing it um I personally am going to advocate for Avatar to maintain the record, but, you know, Endgame has, you know, I still feel like the summer is going to be the tricks, the tricky area for them because Avatar didn't have competition in January when it got released and Endgame has a lot of momentum going in, but I wonder as the weeks go on if that's going to be an issue for them. It's also worth noting, too, that uh, at this point in time, I think that Avengers Endgame has, I want to say, something around $60, $70 million more than Force Awakens did at this current time. Now, I do think that the rewatchability for Force Awakens was probably better because it was a shorter runtime, if anything. So I don't believe that Avengers Endgame is going to crack the all-time domestic record. I don't I don't think they it will I don't think it will get there. But no. the world but the worldwide record, I, I definitely think is possible. It could maybe, happen. Maybe it's at six hundred and nineteen domestic right now. So 
yeah, I would say it becomes the highest grossing domestic title. International still has a little bit of a ways to go. Oh, you think it's going to pass Force Awakens domestically? I do. Oh. See, I mean, I'm anticipating next week it's probably going to get another, what, 80 million over the weekend? We'll see. We'll see what it does. It could even do over 100 again. I mean, if it does do uh, over 100 and it keeps, yeah, I, you know, maybe then I could see it happening. I don't know. It's really tough because Force Awakens, I mean, almost cracked a billion dollars domestically. And that that just. Yeah, because one of the things that helped with Force Awakens was that because it was out during Christmas time and people were off of work and out of school, it had a better uh, average during the week, which Avengers doesn't have because we're not quite in the summer yet. Kids are still in school, so it doesn't have that advantage that Star Wars did. I will say uh, in regards to Endgame, I'll say two things. One, I actually don't know if Lion King is going to beat it now. It's going to come pretty close, I think. Don't underestimate the Lion King. Yeah, I'm not underestimating that. Uh, And the second thing, and Josh, I actually want to tie back to something you just said a minute ago, too, about how you hope it doesn't beat Avatar. Um, Why is that? Is that just because you prefer Avatar as a film, or is there something else going on in terms of the the Disney monopoly and what the uh, all-time record might say for the industry moving forward? Well, for me, actually, the reason why I like Avatar being the highest-grossing film of all time is because you know, I know that everybody makes jokes about, oh, it's like Dance with the Wolves or whatever. But the fact is that Avatar is not based on any pre-existing material. It is an original movie that was sold to people based on coming to see innovative technology. And I think that's pretty special that people went to go see that movie not because it reminded them of a comic book or another movie or was a sequel. Like, it was something new that people wanted to discover. And, you know, I feel like that's going to be the last movie to do that, to claim that kind of a record. So I know that it will get beaten at some point. It might be Endgame. And if it isn't, I'm sure something else will come along. But whatever does beat it, even if it's Avatar 2, it's not going to be original. And I want to celebrate an original movie being number one for as long as I can. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, kind of just drove us out there because uh, why the hell not? Um, I have a feeling Aladdin is going to be a box office bomb. No, Aladdin's tracking very well right now with the uh, pre-sales. They're looking at $100 million over uh, Memorial Day. What? I feel like it could be the kind of thing that does well opening weekend and then just like the drop-off when people actually see it or like when reviews and things come out. is just <laughs> could be, good. but I mean, the fact that it's looking to do in one weekend what Dumbo's done its entire run. People are going to have nostalgia factor for Aladdin big time. That's true. Yeah, I imagine it will be successful. Will it make a billion dollars? I don't know, no. but it like I think the, the notion that this movie is like going to flop, I don't really believe that. I think it'll be successful. It might not be a huge, gigantic hit, but it will do well. I just I want Disney dumb. to have a flop again. That that's my thing right now. I actually want it to happen because I need. I need them to show that they are human and that they can fail because well, if they continue to keep well, they okay. It a flop, but it didn't do too hot either. Well, that, yeah, okay, that's a good. That's actually a good point. I, I, and I'm saying this all because I am beginning to get really scared. I really am over what all of this means collectively for the rest of the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been there for a while, Matt. <laughs> Oh, damn you, Will Mavity, and your prophetic predictions of doom. 
Will Mavity is the Howard Beale of Next Best Picture. <laughs> what a great comparison, Michael. Also, too, he's going to love that because you basically just compared him to Brian Cranston, essentially. <sighs> Who, by the, way, I, by the way, I've heard is fantastic in that role. So Yeah, that, that Tony's going to be between him, Jeff Daniels, and Adam Driver. So you got all of your uh, film slash Broadway slash TV favorites there. He, uh, he won the Olivier last year in London. So uh, Keeping it, uh, the focus with the summer right now, Daniel B. is asking us, what are your most anticipated summer releases? So, I mean, obviously Lion King. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, no? No? Wait, Josh, no Lion King? Uh, I mean, I'll go see it, but am I, like, looking forward to seeing it? Not particularly. I have very complicated feelings about that movie. <laughs> I, I will say that I am definitely, for films that I have not seen yet, um, looking forward to Toy Story 4. Mm. Yeah, I can't wait for Toy Story 4. Which, by the way, I just learned the running time of that movie. And, you know, Toy Story 3, I think, was something like 110 minutes at you know, just about two hours. This is only 89 minutes, Toy Story 4. Oh, that's interesting. All Which, right. Well, yeah, I mean, that... it's not a problem because, uh, as I said, I watched Mulan last night. That was 89 minutes, and that's a pretty great movie. So if you could tell your story, get in, get out, do what you have to do, more power to you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to do this. I am going to uh, list some movies that are not being distributed by Disney uh, <laughs> so that I can call attention to some of those films for a minute here. So, uh, for example, looking forward to John Wick, uh, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Starring Angelica Houston, which if you haven't read her profile in Vulture, go read that. <laughs> oh, my God. Although that was definitely a field day. <laughs> oh, that was something else. And then the Jackie Weaver interview after. <laughs> that was something else. Uh, Midsommar. Yeah, Ari Aster's uh, next film, starring Florence Pugh. My birthday. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, July third is your birthday. That it is. Oh wow, that's awesome. Really cool. Uh, what else is coming out? Uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood goes without saying. Definitely my most anticipated. I would say. Yeah, I think that's mine too. Unless the Fiddler and the Roof documentary does end up opening in the summer, then that's gonna be mine. <laughs> <laughs> that is so unbranded. <laughs> You know what? I mean, I will say uh, some of my favorite movies from Sundance are coming out over the summer. Uh, these are films that I have already seen. But you have stuff like Blinded by the Light, Late Which Night. My um, Blinded by the Light does. I saw the trailer this morning and I was like, oh, August 14th. Yay. That's <laughs> so, so good. I think that you're going to love it. That was a great trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to see that. Uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco yeah, also coming out. That is my number one most anticipated film of the summer. It's my second favorite film of the year. Oh, it looks so good. Can't wait. The Farewell. Yep, The Farewell, which we're getting a trailer for on Tuesday. I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. Uh, that is my third favorite film of the year so far. And uh, last but not least, in terms of... Uh, oh, I don't know if I said this on last week's show or not, but I rewatched Loose for a second time. Yes. <laughs> oh, and it, yeah. it's coming out in August, and I just want to reiterate once again, it's my favorite film of the year, and it is fucking incredible. So great. I am. Um, I'm obviously very excited for late night and for yesterday. Um, but I'm also very excited for uh, the new Men in Black film. <laughs> like we all said, I would like Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth in a buddy cop movie. And the universe was like, how how does this work? And we were like, that works. Yes. Did you see the botched trailer though, Nicole? Oh no, I don't think I did. They released it with uh, audio issues. It was oh, a right. disaster. Yeah. It's I, not uh, quite as funny as what happened with the mummy, but it's yep, it's yep. almost on par. <laughs> but I, uh, Everything about the mummy will be funny. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I'm really looking forward to, uh, which is a Disney, is 
Spider-Man Far From Home. Well, technically, that's also Columbia uh, yeah, that's, that's involved with that. Sony is yeah. still, uh, I think, in bed with Disney over that character. Yeah. So yeah. not, not technically been, fully Disney. Been, uh, listening, you will know how much I adore Tom Holland. <laughs> so very excited to maybe let that like heal me after Endgame. I'm actually excited to see, because uh, I understand there's a second trailer coming out this week where they say they are going to reveal spoilers from Endgame in the trailer. Heck yeah. So I'm actually curious if there's um, some sort of post-mortem uh, for the character and, you know, how he's emotionally handling that, you know, that sort of thing. Sorry for anyone that hasn't seen Avengers Endgame, but, you know, I don't know what you're doing. Make yeah. $2 billion already. If you haven't seen it yet, I think that's on you. I mean, the Russo <laughs> brothers have said on Monday they're lifting the spoiler ban, so and the cast hmm. is free to say what they want. Okay, so we'll be, we'll be a few hours early. No big yeah. deal. <laughs> <laughs> I know Michael and I are both excited for Rocket Man. <laughs> I already uh, my I am excited too. <laughs> I am worried about it. Why? I'm excited, but I'm worried. I just well, want it worry? to be good. I think that's the thing. I want because I I just I love Elton John so much, and like this is like my fangirl thing. So I'm very. They are having Fandango pre-screenings on May 18th. Yeah. Uh, if you go right on after AMC premieres account. and you book a ticket, you can be entered to win a trip to Vegas. So I have a ticket. <laughs> I actually uh, my whole thing with Rockman is I, I want it to be justice for Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. and I think I'm putting I think I'm putting too high of an expectation on it to deliver on that front and that's what's got me concerned about it if that makes sense I've heard that there were some battles with the MPAA over uh, some sex scenes that would have gotten an R rating and at first Paramount was going to cut them but then people were fighting for them to stay in so I, I think there have been some lessons learned and they're going to try to, I don't want to say make up because there's nothing to really make up for when your movie wins three Oscars and has this box office success. I don't think they're looking to clean up their action anyway, but I think in just terms of critical reception and what the public thinks, then yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that, plus the way that people are talking about this movie, it sounds like it's not going to be quite as conventional as the usual like musical biopics are. So I am having a little bit of, of faith in it. Um, but I'll be honest with you, even if it's terrible, it's got Taron Egerton and Richard Madden, which is enough for me. So yeah. Same, same. <laughs> oh, and one more. Speaking of movies coming out this month, I saw the trailer during Us, and it looked pretty good. But now I'm learning more about who's in it and who's associated with it. I really can't wait to go see Ma. Yeah. Oh, looks so good. Ma is directed, uh, and I was shocked to learn this, by Tate Taylor. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tate Taylor directed, and you look at the supporting cast, and it's all about Octavia Spencer and the promotional footage, but this movie has a supporting cast that includes Juliette Lewis, Luke Evans, Missy Pyle, and Oscar winner Allison Janney. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that when I saw fucking Curse of La Llorona, and I was like, oh, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> That looks really so, good. I'm interested in seeing it. Yeah, I'll take Tate Taylor and Octavia Spencer any day. I directed her to an Oscar. There you go. All right. So uh, with that said, I think that that'll pretty much uh, do it here for this week in terms of everything else. Um, does anyone else have anything to say before we go? No, I don't think so. No, I think we're good. All right. Awesome. So, Michael, where can I find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. All right. Josh Parm. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. 
Nicole Ackman. You can find me on Twitter, still talking about all things Captain America, at Nicole Ackman 16. And Casey Lee Clark. You can find me everywhere at Casey Lee Clark. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 141 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We're trying to get up to 200 podcast reviews on there. So leave us a rating on there. Leave us a comment if you're feeling, uh, you know, very, very nice and want to say some nice things about us. We really appreciate that. And also, too, if you head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month, as I said before, you can get some exclusive podcast content, including Next Best Theater Conversations, conversations ongoing about Game of Thrones Season 8 right now. We're halfway through this season. And also our 2015 retrospective, where we are reviewing movies from the year 2015, which will culminate in MVP Film Community Awards voted on by you, the fans of NextBestPicture.com. For this month of May, we are reviewing the films Ex Machina and Room, and we have others coming up as well. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Okay, so by next week's episode, we're all going to have seen palms, right? <laughs> <laughs>